The views expressed on this show by guests and the host on issues outside of the 9-11 controlled demolition evidence are the opinions of those individuals alone and do not necessarily reflect those of architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of 9-11 Freefall. I am the host, Andy Still, and you may or may not have seen, but uh, 1811 Truth published an article written by myself. There it is. Silver bullets, four easily observed facts to strike the NIST reports dead in their tracks. So we're going to be talking a little bit about that today. We're going to move on to some other subjects, and we're going to be joined by my esteemed colleague, Ted Walter. And if you're not familiar with him, you should be. He is a very important person here at AE 9-11 Truth. He's the director of strategy at this organization, and he holds a master of public policy degree from the University of California, Berkeley. He's the lead author of Beyond Misinformation, What Science Says About the Destruction of World Trade Center Buildings 1, 2, and 7, as well as AE's publication, World Trade Center Physics, and, of course, the request for correction to NIST World Trade Center 7 uh, report which we've covered at length. So he's a regular now. He's uh, probably almost as almost as much a part of the show as I am. Let's bring him on in. Ted, welcome back to the show. Hey, Andy. Great to be back. So I here's the deal. I love having Ted around because, you know, I could talk about this article. I just, I don't like talking to myself. I know that it's going to go out and people are going to see it, but uh, Ted's, Ted uh, contributed a lot as well in terms of research and input on this and uh, definitely has a perspective. And then we were talking before the broadcast and he's got some things to even add to what I've already laid out in this article uh, that'll be helpful. Maybe we'll do a part two at some point. We'll, we'll get to that later on. But here's the reason I wrote this article because there are key points that have come up so many times over the years when I'm talking to engineers or I'm watching presentations where I, I see it and I say, my God, how are the NIST reports allowed to continue to exist after these points are, are pointed out by our engineers here at AE 9-11 Truth? So what I was able to do is gather the four best ones that I think bring an instant close to the NIST reports. Just stop them dead in their tracks as the title there says. I mean, these are points that if this was a Columbo movie, they would save it for the end to bring an instant stop to the story. Yet the NIST reports are allowed to continue to flourish as the official explanations given to us by our government, taxpayer-funded government, taxpayer-funded reports, and all we get is a bunch of discredited fiction to be placed in our hands as the, as the explanation for why these buildings came down and the case of the Twin Towers killed so many people. Um, so that was my main reasons for writing it. We're going to go over the silver bullets, sort of summarize them here today. But just based off of everything I just said, Ted, you have any uh, thoughts in terms of why an article like this was so important to put down on paper? Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm, I'm getting over a cold, but I will do my best. 
uh, you know, we have a lot of different audiences. There's a lot of different types of people out there uh, in society uh, whom we are trying to educate. Uh, we spend a lot of time talking to engineers, architects, and so on. And then, of course, there's the general public. Uh, and so sometimes we can get a little lost in the weeds, looking at a lot of very technical things. We spend a lot of time critiquing uh, NIST's scenario of how, uh, for example, Building 7 came down or how the Twin Towers came down. What is the exact, because there's got to be some exact sequence of failures that took place. Um, if this was a fire-induced progressive collapse, well, what, what failed first? And so we look at their scenarios and look at the details, and a lot of that's very technical. Um, but there are, you know, there are times when, and we always have to be doing this, uh, but where we need to really boil things down and and keep it simple. And, and there's, um, and it's not as if any of these things have never been talked about before, but there's things that are worth bringing to the fore uh, and worth, you know, arming uh, our audience, uh, activists in the 9-11 Truth Movement uh, with. Um, and for, for myself, I'll just say, some of this stuff, I've heard it said before, but some of it's still pretty new to me as much as, you know, I spent a lot of time uh, looking at the evidence, talking about the evidence, talking about different aspects of it. Um, but there's so much. And, you know, some of these key things, I think a lot of people might have heard before, but are not really haven't fully grasped just maybe how powerful they are um, and how simple they are. And so, you know, we want to be educating. Uh, not only are we speaking to, you know, engineers, architects, uh, the general public, you know, we're speaking to uh, the people in, in, in the 9-11 truth community uh, as well and helping them, you know, refining their knowledge and their understanding so that they can be better communicators, better educators. And so I think your article is very important um, for doing that. Uh, and so I'd love to uh, dive into it. Absolutely. And we're going to do that. I also want to say, because I've gotten so many emails uh, in the first 24 hours of this being published of people saying this, oh, this would qualify too and that. And there's, I mean, as I say in the article, pretty much our entire body of evidence puts the NIST reports to shame, lays them to rest, at least in the minds of logical, dispassionate uh, people who are just looking at the facts. However, there's a certain definition, um, <clears throat> and maybe I, I, you know, I need to spell this out for people, what qualifies as a silver bullet? And what I looked at were observable facts that you can see. Like, uh, you know, we'll get into this deeper in a minute, but, you know, NIST saying, oh, we had these raging fires that cause the beams to thermally expand. And then you look at a photograph or a, a video still from an hour before, and it's the fires are out. So it's like, well, NIST, you know, come on, look at that. Um, so things that you can observe that directly contradict what NIST is telling you, uh, real life versus their fantasy, but also contradictions where they say one thing here, but then it sort of cancels out another thing on, on this page. So that is what I look for when coming up with these silver bullets. Again, the end of the Columbo movie or Perry Mason or whatever, the evidence that completely refutes the other side and what they're trying to say. That is what we classify as a silver bullet. Also, you know, I try to look for things when uh, I'm making arguments, because I know that people on the other side of this debate, they don't care. I could I could have a picture of them lighting the fuse <laughs> and they wouldn't care. They would just, uh, you know, find some way to dismiss it. However, you can get people to agree that NIST should rerun the analysis on certain points. And we've done that here on the show back when we were in the audio days uh, with a debunker who agreed that, you know, yeah, there's nothing wrong with rerunning the analysis. So, 
when you point out these tragic flaws in the NIST reports, you know, parts where it's just very clear that they're wrong, <clears throat> if you can get the other side to agree that, okay, they got that wrong, perhaps they should revisit that, then there's no reason why they can't come to AE 9-11 Truth and sign our petition as well, just to address the controversy, because all we ask for in the petition is a new investigation uh, that looks at all the evidence, no matter where it leads, that takes into account everything that we bring to the table. We wrote the Bobby McIlvain Act uh, based on that, based on looking at uh, all of our evidence and actually addressing it. So that is uh, what a silver bullet was, and that's why we wrote it in that kind of conciliatory way. People will say, why don't you, you know, why don't you just stick it in their face and, you know, come out and just uh, argue them in that way, say it was a controlled demolition. Look, we have to deal with the reality of the situation. A lot of people are very resistant to this information for uh, obvious reasons, and that's why we uh, take these strategies, because it works. Uh, Ted, your thoughts on what I just said. Well, I think you're absolutely right. I, I just want to I just want to add one one thing so people so listeners viewers know is that we're along with your four silver silver bullets. We're also going to take a look at uh, an, an aspect of the event that um, engineer Jonathan Cole has been talking about recently. He spoke about it at our uh, 21st anniversary conference back in September and uh, just last week in a webinar uh, that we hosted. And he's also written a paper about it, and I'll get a little bit uh, into that towards towards the end. But you know, I think John, uh, what what this has to do with is the what he calls what many people call the spire, you know, which is a portion of the core of the North Tower, also the South Tower. A portion of the South Tower core also remains standing, but it's harder to see through all the dust and everything. But there are a couple of videos of it. But a portion of the North Tower core that remains standing for up to 15 seconds after the rest of the tower went down. Um, that to me is a massive silver bullet. And I had been aware of this spire for a long time, but heard people talk about it here and there. But again, you know, there are revelations. We all have revelations um, all the time. If we spend any any amount of time studying this, uh, there's always room for more revelations, more understanding. And this is a big one for me. And I think it for a lot of people, just gauging the response to John's presentations, it's been quite a revelation for a lot of folks. And so uh, we're gonna touch on that as well as, as a massive silver bullet. Um, and I'm um, excited to do it. Yeah, absolutely. We're not going to just be talking about this article today, but we are going to go over these points and uh, talk about what we want our supporters to do with these silver bullets. And uh, I remember when John Cole gave that presentation at Forbidden Truth, you know, I was kind of looking at, I was running around behind the scenes when I was off camera trying to get everything ready for the next person to come on after whoever is speaking. And I had to stop and, and sit and watch this. Uh, you know, I had planned to watch everything and take it in later because I was uh, hosting the event, but I couldn't help it. I mean, this was fascinating. And, and John Cole, made this connection between this thing that I'd seen people making other arguments for that didn't, doesn't really hold water, uh, but made this connection related to uh, fact and what our evidence shows and just uh, astonishing. So we're going to be reiterating that. And of course, if you want to see John Cole's original presentation at Forbidden Truth, it's up there on our YouTube channel. So let's get the article off the screen and bring up our first visual aid here. And uh, this is the first silver bullet that's highlighted in the article. And this is a point that has been made a lot of times, but you don't see it made a lot. Like to me, this is a huge one. And it is the fact that right there, 
as my great graphics abilities uh, point out, that you have the fires being burnt out uh, in the area of collapse initiation. Now let's just let's just boil down NIST's scenario for why Building Seven came down. They're claiming that in the specific area uh, that the fires got so hot, they heated the beams, pushed the girder off its seat, crashed onto the floor below, and led this in, to this entire situation in which the interior falls first then the exterior this is all a simultaneous event happening within the seven seconds that it took for building seven to come down but we're showing here that at least uh, about 90 minutes before the building actually came down the fires were already out now when i wrote this and i submitted the first draft of this Ted challenges me and says, well, yeah, how do you know the fires didn't come back? Now, I know Ted's not a debunker. He's doing the, the old uh, karate master way of challenging you because we're, we're anticipating what people uh, might say to this, what the other side might say. Oh, the fires came back to finish the job. Wave their hands, walk away. And I said, well, that, that's a good question. Let me wrap my head around that. So what I did is I asked uh, our board member and fire protection expert, Scott Granger, about this. And he gave me a great analysis that we highlight in the article talking about the combustibles. Once all the combustibles are spent, once they're all burned away in a particular area, fire moves to new sources of fuel, new combustibles. They don't return if the combustibles are, are burnt out and it's not very likely in an evacuated building that more combustibles were added uh, unless there's some aspect to 9-11 that we don't know about where people were adding more of them in there running around the building very highly unlikely uh, the fires could not have returned to that area of uh, collapse initiation they were already gone and there's some language in the NIST report where they actually describe the fire spread and uh, and they're very misleading in that they talk about uh, the fires being present on the north and east faces of the building at 3 and 4 p.m but they conveniently leave out 5 20 p.m when the act the building actually came down so nist is being very cute and laying this out very deceptive i shouldn't say cute because uh you know this is about a aspect of 9 11 where people died but they are misleading and making it seem like these raging fires are there. And somebody giving a casual read of this report might say, oh, the north and east faces at three and four. So they must have already stayed there by that time. But no, they were out as this video still from CBS Broadcasting Inc. shows us. So that is my very quick summary of that. Uh, Ted, elaborate. Sure. Well, you know, I remember... Uh, in our in our video uh, solving the mystery of building seven with ed asner you know i remember richard uh richard gage talking about it he says you know he pointed out the fires burnt out an hour before you know and i've watched that so many times and i mean i get it i sort of get it you know but it's really sunk in for me more recently you know once you understand that uh and maybe why this is not talked about a lot is that not everybody just it's not a, it's not a, an assumption or it's not totally understood that <clears throat> the NIST scenario basically requires that the fires were present and burning, <coughs> excuse me, um, when, when the failure occurred, 
because the fires are heating up these floor beams, the floor beams are expanding and then they push the girder off its seat. As soon as the fires go away, the floor beams are going to cool down and they're going to con contract, you know, probably roughly back to their original dimensions. So <clears throat> in order for this failure to happen, the fires have to be present. Um, I didn't totally put that together. Uh, and as you said, it's a very rapid sequence uh, that, that takes place. It's a little more than seven seconds. You know, the, the, the alleged pushing of this girder off of its seat and then the cascade of floor failures and then the buckling of this column and then all the rest of the columns and then the core columns and things are probably took place over, you know, over 20 or so seconds. <coughs> but that's still very rapid. Um, so you need a fire there in order to, to initiate that. Uh, and so literally, like, you know, we talk about the fact that that whole scenario that I just described, that Andy described, that scenario we've shown is physically impossible. There are many reasons why that scenario can't take place. I'm not going to get into all those details here because that's sort of the point is that we're going to throw the details out the window, but we've proven that that scenario can't take place. We've proven that even if you say the scenario could take place, let's say possibly that could happen conceivably. It doesn't actually fit all the evidence that we have that points directly to controlled demolition. Um, you're unable to make the building uh, behave in this natural scenario. As this model shows, the building doesn't, you know, the building completely deforms. It doesn't fall in free fall. It starts to tip over. Um, they don't account for eyewitness reports of explosions, incendiaries, um, chemical evidence, physical evidence of incendiaries, all of that. So those two things, it's physically impossible, doesn't fit the evidence. But a layer before all those is like we've given them the benefit of the doubt that there was a fire where the failure allegedly happened. And actually, no, there was no fire there. The fire burnt out over an hour before the collapse occurred and the fire needs to be there. So this is a silver bullet, as you say, Andy, um, it, it strikes the NIST report dead in its tracks. And, you know, we can look at some of the details, which we're going to show in, in a bit about how NIST sort of glosses over this. Um, and they have no evidence that the fire, that there was any fire after, um, you know, whatever time this is, 349 to 354. In fact, they provide a certain amount of photographic and video evidence of fires in the building after that, but they're nowhere near uh, the northeast corner of the 12th floor. And it had to be the 12th floor that was burning and heating up um, the structural elements on the 13th floor. So that's what we're really focusing on here is the 12th floor and the northeast corner of the 12th floor. When were there fires there? So everybody can sort of scream from the rooftops all this stuff about you know stiffeners and girders and this and that and even direct controlled demolition evidence you know sort of doesn't matter because the fire was out and this this story is dead at, at dead on impact at the very beginning you know and i use the time traveler paradox uh, is to, to illustrate this you know the old thing about the guy who goes back in time, kills his grandfather, he ceases to exist, or like Back to the Future, Marty McFly prevents his parents from from meeting or, or hooking up, and you can see him start to disappear from the picture. Now, that's fiction, but here you go. You don't have a fire in the area of collapse initiation. Everything that follows can't happen. It disappears from the picture. It renders what Nis says a fictional event that is why it is a silver bullet now i want to make sure we we get to cover everything we wanted to cover and you have you have some other pictures beyond what i see is done ted uh regarding the fire spread so uh you want me to just bring up the next one 
Yeah, bring them up, and I think that should be clear what order they're. Yeah, okay. So this. There we go. So, yeah, moving a little earlier in this report from the figure that we just showed you, this is a little bit earlier, around three o'clock. Uh, this is the fire. If you see the eleven and the fourteen there. Uh, so you could deduce that the 12th floor is where you see that little row of fires. That is the northeast corner. That is the 12th floor. That is, a, you know, around three o'clock. Like that is basically uh, the latest time that we have evidence. There's a little more after this we'll show you, but that there's actual evidence that there was fire on the 12th floor in the northeast corner. Um, and that, you know, as we're going to see in a little bit, when we look at the NIST, a little of the language of the NIST report, this is what they're describing. That the fire sh showed up in the northeast corner of the 12th floor around this time. So it was there. That's why those windows are broken out because, you know, presumably that that's why those windows are broken out was because the fires caused those windows to burst. Uh, and then it moved on as fires do. Uh, so just look at look at the next one. Another and one around the yeah. So this is another one around the same time. That is the 12th floor. Uh, and this is around 310. You can see the fires and that's so they've sort of they're in the full the, nor the northeast corner there. Um, and again, this is probably about the last last time that there's any real evidence of fires uh, in that area of the building. Uh, move on to the next one. There we go. All right. Here we see just a little bit later um, that uh, they say between 320 and 340. I'm not going to get into details, but I suspect this is closer to 320. You could see the 12th floor there where you see the 12. You see some fire bursting out of the east face. So, but you see there in the north face, it's it's gone, right? You got those black, those broken windows and, and darkness. So it started to move on and it is there on the east side, but it's, you know, um, this is again at 320. So right now we're talking about two hours before the collapse took place. And this is probably why they wanted to focus on this time period, because somebody could go back and research and say, oh, that fire looks pretty scary there. So, oh, you know, yeah. I could see how in this scenario, but that's not the time that the building came down and it has to be a simultaneous event. And so later on, we see the fires are burned out, as we saw in the first uh, graphic that we showed. Yeah. Another reason why I think people don't talk about this that much is like, you, you get it. You look at the video footage of the collapse. You look at the eyewitness evidence. You talk about free fall. Like most people, all they have to do is see the video of the collapse to to realize that it's a controlled demolition. Some people require a little more evidence and that's all well and good. But we don't spend, a lot of people don't spend their time studying where were the fires at three o'clock? Where were the fires at four o'clock? Because, you know, we know that the fire story is, is a fantasy. So we're not going to dig into these details. Uh, people are not as inclined to dig into these details. But if you dig into these details, uh, you've, you know, which some people uh, over the years at a and Truth and others have done, you know, you find, wow, the whole premise is completely uh, is completely baseless. There, the fire wasn't there at all, like for over an hour before the collapse initiated. So that's why it's worth doing this um, and, and why it's understandable that people don't. But we're just trying to give it to you in a real bite sized nugget here. The fire was gone for over an hour. And and, and this collapse for this story to, to make sense, the fire had to be there when the failure uh, uh, the initiating failure that NIST alleges um, took place. All right, let's bring up your next graphic here. I think we got some quotes. Let's see. All right, yeah, I can't. Uh, I don't know if our audience could see that very well, but I'll read uh, it. Why don't you just talk about the hi highlighted part? Yeah. So yeah, this is we're talking. We're focused on the 12th floor, and in, in the end, 
uh, when we talk about NIST theory, that's what the floor that really matters. Uh, I'm going to read the highlighted part. It says, the next time an image, and you quoted part of this in your article, uh, the next time an image showed fire on the 12th floor was just before 3 p.m. when flames were observed between windows 1244C and 1245C, east of center on the north face. I'm going to skip that next sentence. In less than 15 minutes, the fire on the north face spread rapidly to the east to fully engulf the northeast corner of the floor. So that's basically what we just showed you those those images of. That's what NIST is describing. So they're acknowledging it in their description, you know, of, of what happened. All right, let's go on to the next uh, one here. So if you want to so, elaborate, go ahead. Yeah. So so in that last section of their report, they were describing the fire spread. Now we get to the near the end of their report where they're telling you why this building collapsed, right? And it's their probable collapse sequence. And so they they say there this is i'm going to read the highlighted part and this was quoted in your article by 3 p.m to 4 p.m these fires were generally concentrated on the east and north sides of the northeast region okay so that the way that they've written that is a little misleading because to to the uninformed reader the person not thinking about it you would just think like okay so they got there by three or four and then they maybe they stayed there you know they were concentrated there by that time uh but they don't tell you oh and then it and then it moved on and burnt out. Uh, or they don't try to assert that it came back. You know, they don't, they just, and so you look at the next step of their their scenario where we get to the initial failure, that's step three. The initial local failure, fire-induced thermal expansion of the floor system surrounding column 79 led to the collapse of floor 13. Okay, but what about all that time in between four o'clock and 520? Where was the fire at, at five o'clock? Where was the fire at 520? They just completely gloss over that in in their probable collapse sequence, and they, they want you to not think about it. Well, because yeah, the NIST is acting, they're sort of the scientific equivalent of uh, some slick timeshare condo salesman trying to gloss over the details and get you so just kind of worked up to uh, not look at you know, things that could actually affect your uh, you know your wallet and just sign the contract. They're trying to sk skip you past certain details overlook them and just get you to sign on to this official story, just focusing basically on what was happening at three and four, but not the time that the building actually came down. All right, let's move on to the next silver bullet here. And I'm just going to summarize. So let me get the visual aid up. Well, we'll actually just to summarize what they say happened to the North tower. And I want to get the quote in front of me here. Uh, this is right directly from the NIST report. So they claim that the airplanes crashed into the buildings, knocked the fireproofing off the trusses, and then as the fires got hot inside the building, the trusses sagged, pulled the exterior inward, those exteriors went, the top blocks came down, crushed all the way down to the ground, according to uh, Zdenek Bazant, which NIST borrowed, who NIST borrowed from, uh, to come up with their report. And directly from the NIST report, it says the towers likely would not have collapsed under the combined effects of aircraft impact and subsequent multi-floor fires encountered on September 11, 2001, if the insulation had not been widely dislodged or had been only minimally dislodged by the air, uh, aircraft impact. So they're acknowledging right there that that fireproofing was pretty important, that this whole scenario couldn't have happened unless that fireproofing were knocked off. Now, they also acknowledge in the report that the collapse initiated on the 98th floor. So let's go ahead and take our metaphorical elevator up to 
the 98th floor. And there you go. Next stop, 98th floor. Uh, now, I'm pointing at the screen thinking the audience can see me doing this. Um, but look where the arrow is pointing. Okay, look at the damage there. Only the tip of the wing touched that floor. And we have a nice little exclamation point right there in the graphics because considering what I just said, where the fireproofing had to be knocked off in order for this scenario to happen, had to be knocked off those trusses, well, on the floor where this uh, collapse supposedly initiated, we have uh, we only have that minor damage, so it couldn't have knocked the fireproofing off of those trusses. So we have a contradiction here, right in the NIST report that refutes what they say. And as I say in the article, at the very least, it justifies a rerunning of the analysis to deal with this contradiction. If we are really interested in the science and getting an understanding of what actually happened to these buildings. And in the case of the Twin Towers, people actually died as a result of the buildings coming down. So we better make darn sure we know exactly what happened there. But right there, we have these glaring contradictions. NIST is fine with it. Of course, we are not. We know what really happened to those buildings. Um, but that, right, hence is why it's a silver bullet. Ted, please elaborate. Yeah, so um, I think the you, you've done a very good job of explaining it. Um, I think the, the simple fact of the matter is uh, the collapse initiated on the 90th floor. Uh, it actually initiated rather um, evenly on the 90th floor around the entire width of the building. Uh, and yet uh, there was minimal damage to the 90th floor uh, from a structural standpoint um, as and from a, a fireproofing standpoint because so little of the plane uh, went into the 90th floor as this um, as this image shows. So uh, it really complicates their story quite a bit. Uh, they would, I think, for NIST, um, they would love for the collapse to have actually initiated a little bit lower down. Um, and so right there, that's an in incongruity that the collapse is initiating on the 90th floor and there's so little damage there. Um, now, you, you know, I think somebody who's really grasping uh, could, could kind of try to read the NIST report and what they say and say, well, you know, the lower floors, there was a lot of damage and that's where a lot of the fires were. And there was the lower floors that were being pulled in. And so we're talking, I want to clarify too, that we're talking about the south face, the where the plane went in is the north face. All right, that's what you're looking at here. Where the that Boeing took place, the Boeing that NIST claims eventually, you know, triggered the, this whole sequence that brought the top of the building down was on the south face. So the fires moved around the building and caused the trusses, the floor trusses on the south side of the building to pull the exterior columns on the south side of the building inwards and then pulled them to the point that they buckled and that that as they were getting as they were being pulled and losing more and more of their um, strength, the loads were being redistributed to the other surrounding columns, the east and, and west faces. Um, and then when it, the buckles, the, the instability really spreads rapidly to all the other columns is, is their story. Um, so, but the, the, again, why the 98th floor? Um, if you look at this, I don't know if I, I don't see it up there. Andy, it's image number six. I don't know if I, maybe I didn't. Um, well, here's the next one in the line here. So is this what you right. wanted to show? I just, okay. this is just worth showing to say, this is one of a few examples uh, in the NIST report where we can see that they acknowledge that the collapse began on the 90th floor. I just want everybody to know that, that that's kind of a, that's an agreed upon fact. So in the highlighted area there, it says WTC1 began to collapse. The first exterior movement was at floor 98. 
So that's where we actually observe any sort of collapse taking place. <coughs> now, what we might have skipped is, uh, what I might not have uploaded is image number six, unless, do you see an image number six there? Let's see, is uh, it this one? Oh, that's seven. So I think I missed, I missed six, but that's fine. Um, you know this, let's say that's yeah. It, it, I'm not seeing. Let me um. Let me actually right. take, let me take down one, and we'll bring up six real quick. All right. Well, and while you're doing that, I just want to say too that the damage here was so minor that NIST didn't even bother to describe the damage to the 98th floor. And it seems like that if that's the initiating floor, it would be pretty darn important to describe there. So, at the very least, I describe it as bad code planted within the hard drive of the NIST report, all right? And just like in the case of Building 7, when we were talking about the burnout fires a few minutes ago, NIST is robbed of its initiating event now. Because again, you have to have the fireproofing knocked off the trusses for them to sag, pull the exteriors inward, bring down the whole block. But if the fireproofing isn't knocked off on that floor, now debunkers are gonna say, oh, it's not important. It's incredibly important. It's important, incredibly important to have something come out right have an accurate description and if there is a glaring contradiction there at the very least they can rerun the analysis did we get that uploaded ted yeah look at look for number six so this is, right, the is image that that, yeah this is like the video image that they base everything on uh and if you look it's hard to tell but if you look between the where you see the 97 and the 95 there up and down you know, that's where they're saying that the Boeing was taking place. And so, and then, but then the buckling happened at the 98th floor. So maybe you can imagine something where those columns from 95 to 97 are being pulled inwards. Um, <coughs> and then the 90th floor is where the buckling suddenly happens. I don't, doesn't, doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't sound very plausible, but even if that happens, they don't talk about, um, and, and, they don't talk about it all. They don't explain in any degree of detail how once, if, even if you got some of those bu um, columns on the, on the south face to suddenly buckle, that the loads would be distributed and re redistributed in such a way to all the other columns, both the exterior columns and the core columns, that um, and, and so rapidly that the whole building would start to fall, you know, in in, in basically a, a split second. Uh, and why would it happen on the 90th floor? Why would that why would that instability that buckling spread around the 90th floor which we see if you want to go to the next image number seven andy um so sure we'll, we'll be looking at it from the north face from the north side now uh, uh no sorry that's not it this is it right here yeah yeah okay so here now we're looking at the north north face of the building north and west face and the basically NIST is saying here that the collapse is initiating on the on the 90th floor on the on the north side as well so how is instability spreading um, to all these other undamaged columns uh, on the 90th floor uh, aren't missing their fireproofing um, are, are basically undamaged. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense and they don't explain it and they don't, they don't explain it in a mathematical way because really, if you do the analysis, you'd see that the columns, the other columns in the building would have enough reserve capacity to, um, you know, absorb the, the lost support from any, columns on the exterior that might you know that might buckle so yeah All right you want to show this graphic too well i'm not probably you know the, it's not the graphic so much as this this is where they try to explain how these instability spread so uh from the south side to the north to the east to the east and west sides and to the north side and there's it's very scant in terms of 
you know, it's a it's a very fictional uh, scenario. If anybody wants to pause this and read it, you know, feel free to, uh, or go to page three hundred four of NC Star one six. Um, you know, it's this is all they give us to try to explain how the the you know instability spread across the whole building suddenly um, due to this all one right. side buckling. I think you got a video to upload now, folks. They only give us like, so we can only right. upload certain things at certain times. So while he's doing that, let's uh, get into a description here of what you are about to see. So I have a list in my article and I want to make sure that I get my own words right here. My brain tends to bounce around like a super ball in a gymnasium. All right. So, well, actually, I don't even, I don't even need it here. Oh, wait, it'll be in this pile. I got all these papers on my desk here. Okay, so the antenna signals what happens. So this is the scenario that NIST would have you believe happens. So the plane crashes into the building, fires get hot, the trusses, of course, the fireproofing is knocked off, according to them. Uh, the trusses sag from that heat, pull the exterior columns inward, and then the when the exterior columns go, the top block goes along with it, crushes all the way down to the down to the bottom. And then there's a final crush up phase, according to Bazant, who NIST based its report off of, because you don't have a large top block sitting on the rubble there at ground zero. However, when you watch the North Tower come down, ironically, the antenna signals what happened, because you can see uh, in the video, the antenna falls first before the top of the building starts to go. Now, why is this a significant fact? Because it shows that rather than the trusses pulling the exterior inward, there's actually damage being done to the core of the building prior to that. It's being done first. So the more likely scenario is that, uh, and as we lay out in the article here, is that the core columns were severed, the falling, uh, the falling core of the building pulled the trusses inward, and pulled, they then pulled on the exterior. And then of course the building was brought down in a controlled manner and an explosive manner. Uh, when you get into the physics arguments of this, Bazan's whole scenario is impossible. We've covered that well, but right there, you're sure, it's, it's an observable fact that NIST did not take into account because the antenna shows you that the core of the building is being removed. And I think we have the first video ready to go here. Uh, so let's go ahead and when play the that. Collapse finally starts. The antenna started just a little bit before the exterior of the building started. And that tells us that the core columns let go first. All right, Ted. Now, who, who's talking here? And why did we play this video rather than the one we put into the article? Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll bring up that one uh, as well. Uh, but I just no, wanted to. I, yeah, I want you to explain why this is so significant. Yeah, so so this is Gene Corley, actually. He was the, the lead investigator of the first official investigation that was done in the year after 9-11 uh, by FEMA and by the American Society of Civil Engineers. And so what was written in the FEMA report, which they accurately observed, is that the antenna starts drop first. And so they, uh, FEMA wrote, the, the authors of the FEMA report wrote that uh, the collapse apparently initiated at the core. Uh, and so that's in direct contradiction to to NIST to NIST scenario, uh, and and so Gene Corley there kind of is, is explaining it. Uh, we have another. There's actually another um, investigator who studied uh, the collapse of the towers, uh, and this was for a lawsuit. Uh, he was a uh, uh, his name is I think Najib Abood, 
and he was a, um, a principal for uh, Widlinger Associates. And they were hired by Larry Silverstein, uh, owner of uh, Building 7 and leaseholder of the Twin Towers, uh, to do a study uh, for their, for, as part of their lawsuit. Their lawsuit. <coughs> and so Najib Baboud also claims that the collapse initiated at the core uh, because the antenna falls first. And so if you look at the next video, we can get a little... The collapse of the Here we go. Tower. You can see it core-driven in the center first, and then the outside perimeter wall uh, follow. So how do I know that this physics calculation is meaningful? We overlay it on actual video footage on the day and keep your eye on the TV antenna at the top. And you'll see it starts coming down exactly the way the analysis predicted the collapse happened. The overlay of the calculation and the observable events is, you know, amazingly uh, good. All right, so he's very uh, he's very proud of his work. Um, we don't agree with uh, Najib Aboud. Uh, we don't agree with Gene Corley, uh, but they both correctly point out uh, that the antenna started to move first. And so don't just take our word for it. Um, other, you know, engineers, investigators who support some version of the official narrative of what happened, um, you know, are saying, are saying what we're saying, that the, the antenna moved first. That indicates that there was failure in the core first, uh, and this uh, contradicts the NIST the NIST report. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know if you, you want anything now. We what I, what I was amazed to come across today was that NIST actually denying in their report that the antenna moves first because they realized that that was incompatible with their scenario. Well, this goes along with the previous episode because we're familiar with this Abood fella, uh, where even people pushing. An, an official narrative in the sense that they, they don't agree that it's controlled demolition. Um, they don't all agree with each other. They don't all agree with Nest, people who are, are more celebrated out there for giving versions of events there at the World Trade Center on that day. But you have two uh, of those types of people who would not agree with us about controlled demolition, but they are observing that the antenna came down first and they're observing this or they're acknowledging it because that is what you see when you watch the video. So in this case, and I, you know, we've caught this just again, ignoring observable facts. I mean, I remember Shyam Sunder when he did his, when he got interviewed by uh, uh, Alan Reese of No Lies Radio, claiming that the metal coming out of the South Tower was bright silver. You can see that it is orange coming out there. So he's just telling you that uh, <laughs> it's the opposite of, of what you actually see when you observe the video. They do this. They ignore these facts and they just sort of make up their own to go along with the scenario they are trying to push. Now, I want to make sure we get everything in. So if uh, let, you want to move on to the final silver bullet, Ted? With, the, with me? Yeah, I just want to just this. You go to, um, I think it's in there, or maybe that's where I ran into the, okay, let me, uh, let me just remove these documents that we have up. One second. All right. all right. So while Ted's uploading all of that, let's get, I'll, I'll just sort of introduce the oh. final silver bullet. Did you have something yeah, to say? There's one last thing before we move on. There's one last thing that I want to show that's relevant to this point, which I just pointed out before. Okay. Uh, and then we can, here we go. It's uploading. All right. It's number 11 there, Andy. All right. Well, I don't see numbers here, so I just got to wait for oh. it to appear at the bottom. 
Okay. Yeah, it's a really um, weird, weird kind of screwy system we use here on StreamYard. They only give us like a certain upload limit, and uh, and then all of the files come through is just saying Ted Walter, and Ted's got better internet than I do, so that's why we rely on him to provide all it. of the visual aids. Um, so it should be the one at the bottom then. Yeah, well, I'm not seeing it come up. Can you scroll? Because there's like a scrolling thing. Yeah, uh, no, I mean, I'm scrolled all the way to the bottom here. But uh, is it then maybe at the top? That's weird. I mean, maybe, let's see. No, I'm not, I'm just seeing myself at the top. Huh. Okay, I see it. It's a, it's a shame. Basically. Oh. Now, I know some, something just disappeared from here, but it still oh. ends with a boot. Let me let me just okay. Bear with me for ten seconds. I'll delete all of the other documents, and then see if there's this one left over. I'll even delete the Corley okay. video. What do you see? Just the boot? Just or do you the got boot. a doc? You don't have this document? That's strange. No, uh, I tried to upload it again. Okay, well, last try here. Oh, you know what's? You know what? Maybe no. Okay, let me know if you. I'll tell you when we I. We got to hire a staff. We got to hire staff for me down here in Arizona, a whole technical yeah. staff, because you know the money's totally there for that. Of course, I'm kidding, folks. We're. Uh, I feel like the Wizard of Oz most of the time. I'm trying to portray this this huge operation that we have, but a lot of times it's Andy and Ted <laughs> holding it together with duct tape. But uh, did, Do so did it come up? Yeah, yeah, it's up I, for me. Is it this document right here? Yeah, there oh, we go. Okay. There we go. So this is this is beautiful. This is where NIST tries to deny that the antenna moved first. Observations from single vantage point can be misleading and may result in incorrect interpretation of events. For instance, photographic and video records taken from due north of WTC1 collapse appear to indicate that the antenna was sinking into the roof. McAllister 2002. So that's referencing the FEMA report. Ironically, McAllister is one of the two authors of this volume of the NIST report that we're reading. Um, when records from east and west vantage points were viewed, it was apparent that the building section above the impact area tilted to the south as the building collapsed. So that's they're, they're basically trying to deny that the antenna moved first. You can't find any. I thought, oh, there must got to be somewhere in the report where they talk about the antenna moving. The, the place, the one place in the report where they do is where they're actually deny that the antenna moved first. Now, the thing is, you can look at those videos of the building from the east and the west and see that the building does start to tip to the south first. But that doesn't, I, I would love to take a closer look at those videos. That doesn't negate that the antenna started, may, it probably started to move first uh, before the roof line of the North Tower or before the exterior parts of the North Tower. Just because you're looking at it from the north, if you start to see the antenna move first before the roof, like that is, you know, that, that, you know, that this is not proof that the antenna didn't move first. But in any case, that's what NIST is trying to do. They're trying to factually deny what, what AE Nile and Truth and, and these other engineers and investigators um, have said. Well, the, the proper question to ask them after that would be, okay, let's say the antenna did move first, right? So just hypothetically, NIST, I know you're trying to deny what you see there, but if it did move first, would that indicate that you were wrong? If that were a fact, now they probably wouldn't answer a question like that. They don't even answer questions about uh, things that have been highlighted and requests for corrections and things like that. But that'd be the next follow up because then anybody 
with at least two brain cells to rub together, would look at the video for themselves and see that it did move first. And if NIST said, oh, yeah, if, the, if it, it would change the entire premise on which, uh, you know, which we can describe these buildings coming down, then somebody could watch it for themselves and come to the conclusion that, oh, my God, you know, the core must have been taken out first. Um, all right, let's move on to the other one, uh, the, the final one. Let's uh, get Bazant up, that uh, graphic of his cartoon there from his right. paper. I've got it right here myself, too, if it doesn't come up. I got it. Here we go. All right. So I remember this cartoon because I had to sort of recreate it for the graphic novel. And um, I always wonder, too, if Bazant made this, drew this himself or if he had some kind of student uh, helper do this but very simplistic cartoon and look, we're looking down we're looking at his uh a through f stages of collapse and so this just sort of reiterates what Bazant claimed of course nist adopted this as to why the building completely destroyed itself both buildings and there you see an airplane top block starts to go crushes all the way down to the bottom and then we have a final crush up phase because again we don't have a top block sitting on the on top of everything at ground zero so comes down does the work and then commits suicide in the end now this is a bizarre uh scenario that nist that bazaar and nist lays out for us um but this is what they are sticking to so you would figure that there would have to be a continuous uh a continuous pattern of destruction as this top block comes down. Because again, if you have this weight crushing floor by floor, you would expect damage floor by floor. It would be a continuous sequence of destruction there. All right, uh, that's what common sense tells you. That's what uh, physics tells you. That's basically what they're telling you happened to these buildings. Now, Ted, we have a video to show our audience as well. Let's get that up there. And so all well and good until you observe All right. So, you know, when you're watching a building being destroyed, it's hard to zero in on facts uh, or on details that are, you know, happening there because there's so much chaos and so much uh, destruction there. Um, but what we can see and we can observe is that there is a discontinuous pattern of destruction uh, because you can see on the, on the left-hand side of the building that there is floors being taken out up here, and then it skips several floors, and it happens below. Let's watch that again. And let's actually, well, I guess we have it muted, but it's still playing the sound. Here we go. I turned it off. Yeah, I turned the sound off. Oh, you did. All right, there you go. And then far below... Maybe we missed it here. Yeah, it happens pretty quick Go in the video. I think I, I, yeah. can, I can get to the... Okay, so it looks like I can control this one. So, like, I'll... You know, you get to... Right here. Focus in on... I don't know if you can't see my cursor, but focus in on the damage you're seeing on the left-hand side of the corner, and you'll see that it skips several floors and then resumes sort of along the same, you know, axis up-down. Boom. Okay. Right there. It skipped. So yeah, we'll show once more. Just take a look on more on the left-hand side of the building. And not to mention that it's skipping floors, but also the corner is remaining intact. 
So you're seeing all of these injections on both faces of the building, um, which we're led to believe is the top coming down and crushing it, which just is just nonsense when you look at the video. Like it's so obviously not the top of the building crushing, but you can factually demonstrate that uh, by the fact you know that it's not that because the corner is remaining intact and because you see this sort of discontinuous pattern. Why would the top of the building leave some of the floors and then start crushing ones further below? Doesn't make sense. Well, it does if it's a controlled demolition, but we yep. it can't possibly be that because that's what the conspiracy theorists say. The people who believe in physics and common sense and actually look at what actually happened on the videos. Don't just take the NIST reports for gospel. But right there, you know, people will say, people on the other side will say, real life is messy. It doesn't have to look like the cartoon that uh, Bazant put in his paper. But again, you can't overlook that fact that they are relying on a continuous sequence of destruction floor by floor as this top block drives all the way to the bottom. And that's not what we observe in the videos. We can't have floors being skipped. It doesn't jive with the story we are told. So at the very least, you want to call us conspiracy theorists. You want to dismiss evidence. You want to say that we're, uh, you know, that we're candidates for the funny farm. Fine. But at the very least, we're showing you that what NIST said happened didn't happen according to the video. And it justifies uh, rerunning the analysis, revisiting it, considering that you're not just watching a, discon a discontinuous sequence of destruction coming down, but you're also watching people get killed in that video uh, from a distance. So we need to know how these people died, why they died, what actually brought these buildings down that should have withstanded these airplane impacts. Uh, your thoughts, Ted? Yeah, well, I just want to make, you know, I think that this video is a very useful tool to show people. Um, it's, in, it's embedded in the article, uh, in Andy's article and is on our on our YouTube page. We've used it before in the past. We've posted on Facebook and stuff, but this video alone, like I saw the reaction of people to it on on Facebook and other places when it was posted and people were like, my goodness, it's so it's it's, you know, screaming at you uh, and in the face like it's so obvious. So like I can imagine I would show most to be honest, most of my family and friends uh, who are not quote unquote conspiracy theorists. Uh, none of us are in a way uh, at all. Um, will you know get it um, the few that are on the fence or that are, have trouble I could imagine showing this video to them and it would finally sink in for them so I encourage you the the, um, the, the person who made this video on 9-11 his name is Ben Reisman um, and you can find it embedded in Andy's article and I think it's a very useful tool absolutely so it, we conclude the article are facts important when investigating the deaths of thousands they absolutely are. NIST was given a sacred trust after September 11th. They could actually look at the science of why these buildings came down, look past all the geopolitics and all the, yeah, all the uh, excitement or whatever you want to call it of the government responding to 9-11 and just look at actually what happened. And of course, they started with a conclusion and they just cherry picked uh facts from that day focused on things like oh where the fire was at three and four instead of at 520 when the building uh building seven actually came down and they were just part of the post 9-11 agenda and they handed us these flood reports so we need a new one even if you don't agree with us about controlled demolition we're able to shoot these holes right through the nist reports these silver 
bullets. All right. Now, if you don't agree with us, do you really want to stand on the shaky foundations of these reports, these NIST reports? Is this really what you want to turn to in your arsenal when dealing with someone like us, like me and Ted? I don't think so. So you should support NIST rerunning the analysis and addressing these silver bullets because they will remain silver bullets until NIST addresses these facts, until they uh, continue or until they stop denying reality and stop saying, oh, the antenna didn't move first. Oh, yeah, no, the fires were, were big and strong in the area on the 12th floor in the northeast corner when the uh, building came down because we can prove that they weren't. Absolutely that they weren't. Now, here's the deal, Ted. We got five minutes left, but I'm willing to go into overtime to cover some of John Cole's stuff. If you're up for it, I'll deal with the networks on it afterwards. You want to do it? Yeah, let's do it. I mean, we could try to be fast. All right. All right. I'm going to hand it over to you. Okay, cool. I just uploaded. You saw the Byzant uh, illustration already, so I'm not going to um, show that again. But this, there's another graphic from some of Byzant, one of Byzant's papers, his most recent one that's important. Um, so you saw Byzant's uh, thing about the top remaining intact all the way to the bottom. You know what? To be safe, I, I want to bring it up because it's very relevant to this conversation. Uh, ba, 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 ba. Here you go. I've uploaded that. And if you, as soon as you see it, if you could go back to that one. Okay, just want to remind people. Uh, this is basically what Andy just showed. It's a little bit. It's actually been, he's touched it up a little bit for his 2022 paper uh, that was published this past spring. Uh, so there's that, the idea of this top block reaching the ground intact and then crushing itself up. Uh, if we move to the next, uh, the next one that we were just looking at, this is his, his time history for the motion of uh, the towers. Uh, free fall, he has in red here. In blue, he has both his model, his calculations, uh, his mathematical model and the video record. So he's trying to say that, you know, his model matches the video record. Now, we've spent a lot of time uh, over the years, uh, and many researchers and folks at A, you know, Truth have spent a lot of time showing that the math, the inputs that went into his model in order to get it to match the video record uh, are, are false, are incorrect. And if you actually correct the um, inputs you, and you use his mathematical model, it'll show that the collapse would have arrested within two stories. Um, it would be slower and it would arrest within two stories. So he had to falsify his math. And we do believe that he intentionally falsified it because it's too, the, the mistakes are not casual mistakes. They had to be intentional. Um, he falsified his math in order to get his model to make sense, in order to get his model to fit the, um, the video. Uh, but what's for me what i'm about to talk about was very revelatory because we spent all this time looking at the first few seconds of the collapse and it how fast is it you know would it if we correct the math will it be slower john cole came up with this i mean you've been talking about the north tower spire for, spire for a long time but he brought it into he made it he connected it to byzant's model byzant's claim that the top of the to tower remained intact all the way to the bottom before crushing itself up and he said, um, and he said, and the big problem here is that we're only looking at, well, these are the first three seconds. There's also a time thing where he looks at 11 seconds, 12 seconds. And Byzant basically says the collapse was over after 11 or 12 seconds. Um, so let's bring up uh, what the, the evidence actually shows. Um, let me see if I'm in the right place here. 
and this is another, I think the reason why we're touching on this now is that it really is another massive silver bullet. Um, you could, you could call it, you could call it that. Um, John, John Cole likes to say that it's the Achilles heel of all gravitational collapse theories. All right, here we go. It's probably going to start playing. So here's the beginning of the collapse, which we spent so much time focusing on uh, in years past and up, up until now. But now we're going to actually focus on the second half of the collapse, which sort of, as John says, begins about now. Now we're about 15 seconds in. And wow, look at that. There's this huge remnant of the core structure that is still intact and that's standing. And then suddenly it falls. So Byzant's time history and Byzant's model completely uh, omits this core, this core structure that remains standing. Let me, I want to bring up one other video. This one's going to have sound, but it's worth hearing because it reminds us of how totally um, shocking and uh, anomalous this event was. Uh, one second. There goes the second tower. So I'll play it once more just in case you weren't ready when it started, just to watch it once more. And you're gonna see, not only is there that one portion standing, there's also some of the columns that remain standing. Uh, what I'm gonna say is they get cut. And that's what John Cole argues is they're being cut. They, they, they sort of tip over to the side. So take a look. And the ones on the left here are gonna tip. See that? All right, so uh, the basic the basic issue here is uh, how could the top part of the North Tower reach the ground intact uh, and then crush itself up and destroy all this building in the process if we have this huge portion of the core uh, of the tower still standing after most of the tower has come down. And not only a large section, but you've got this one slender column that is uh, standing up very tall, and I'll I'll just share a um, I'll just share a photo here to get a better view of it. Uh, to do, all right. Let's share that Spire Five. I'd actually you probably won't see the name, Andy, but all right. I think it's this one right here. Yeah. So there, you get a really good look at this at this you know what what people call the spire, and in particular, you have that one column that is probably about 60 stories high and that is corroborated by NIST. I'll show you a little uh, quote from NIST in a second. So John, one of John's arguments about this is uh, that particular column, for that column to still be standing, less force needed to be applied to it than the force that it was actually withstanding when the building was standing there, the, the force that it was handling. Uh, and yet, if the top of the tower is coming down as an intact block, uh, it would apply many times that force and it would have buckled this column. So this is this the this core still standing and in particular that one column is irrefutable evidence that the top of the building was actually uh, disintegrated and, and 
uh, you know, broken up into however many pieces and exploded out, probably exploded outwards, or some of it may have, might have felt in the footprint, but a lot of it was exploded out. Um, this is what we can tell by watching the video. Zant tries to claim that the top, it, it was just hidden by all the dust and debris. That's why you don't see it in a single photo or video, even though we have hundreds, if not thousands, uh, you don't see the top anywhere. Zant saying, oh, it's just hidden by all this, all the dust. Well, this core still standing shows us that actually, no, the top wasn't just hidden. Uh, the top was destroyed probably pretty early in this whole process. Um, so that's the gist of it. John, John has a, a nice little, um, uh, I want to show this. He made a nice little picture to illustrate the problem here, which I think anybody can understand. Even a, you know, a sixth grader could understand, uh, why this is a problem. If you want to pull that up, Andy, here we go. So, yeah, if you drop, um, if you drop the plate on the toothpick, is the plate going to pass through the toothpick and, and then the toothpick is going to remain standing? Probably not. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's the gist of it. John, um, I want to show you, uh, and, and I consider this a, a major silver bullet, as I've said before, I want to show one, uh, illustration that John did for a paper that he actually submitted in response, in response to Byzant's paper from this past spring, which I just mentioned, uh, you saw Byzant's very, you know, fantasy based illustration of what happened. This is John's John's schematic of what happened. And I don't know, Andy, do you agree that this looks more like what actually took place? Well, how can I not? I mean, it's what we just watched here. We just watched that spire still standing at the end. And of course, Bazant didn't take that into account in his uh, cartoon. But here we go with John's and that is more accurate and exactly what we saw on that day. Yeah. So um, it might be people. I think the next place that people would want to jump to is well, Okay, maybe Byzant's theory isn't right. Maybe the top remained intact for a while and crushed a lot of the building, but maybe halfway down started to break apart, but all the debris as it was, you know, it started to break apart and that's how it missed these columns is that it broke into more pieces, but the, the debris from it was still crushing some of the structure below. Um, that doesn't, that, that, that's, not the, that's not Byzant's theory. That's not the official theory. That is you kind of making, trying to make stuff up in your mind. Uh, for that theory to essentially work, like the top had to remain intact all the way down. That's an essential feature of Byzantine theory and NIST because they essentially endorse Byzantine theory of the of the official theory. Um, so it doesn't work. the The official story is that the top remained intact until it reached the ground, and that's impossible because of these core columns that are still standing. Yeah, and, De and John also uh, says that, uh, and he gives this presentation in Forbidden Truth, and we're going to work on getting John here on Freefall to get into this more, but the downward force would have had to have been less, not more, as it came down, uh, according to what we are observing here. We have this portion still standing. So actually, this is great evidence that John seized on. I, I didn't put it in the article. Maybe I should have, but we can always revisit these things, do new articles, Lots of good content here um, and just great research from so many people. And, uh, you know, we couldn't do this work without them. Um, I want to say this to the audience. Look, there's people out there who bring up points to us all the time. You've heard our definition of a silver bullet. I like to stick with the stuff that is just kind of, you know, hits it right at the core. 
uh, of the NIST reports, right at the initiating events, the provable facts that prove them wrong. Um, and so if you've got some kind of observation out there, you know, we're not omnipresent. We don't necessarily see every single thing uh, pointed out to us, send it into us. We'll take a look and give our opinion. And maybe if we get enough of them, we'll do another article just like this. We'll credit all the people that helped us out with this. I know there's a guy out there who goes out through the NIST reports and finds all the contradictions and he kind of... <laughs> He kind of lets us know about them by putting them into rhetorical questions during webinars and such. But uh, get to work there. We need to put a list together of all of these. Maybe we can even put it in a book someday or something. Uh, just to give history a volume to show exactly all these very simple uh, points where, where NIST got things wrong. Um, easy to read for everyone out there. So, uh, Ted, do we have anything else to add today regarding well, this? Yeah. Subject? I just want to say one thing, which is John submitted uh, a paper. I mentioned the paper that Zdenek Bazan published in the spring of this year, uh, basically resummarizing all of his, his theories about how the Twin Towers came down. Uh, and John submitted a discussion of that, so a response critiquing that paper uh, right around the deadline. It was September of this year. And this was to the ASCE, the American Society of Civil Engineers Journal of Structural Engineering. That is, that is the journal that published Bazan's paper, and that's where John submitted his response. And it was rejected within two days of being submitted uh, for allegedly having insufficient technical content. Uh, and there was no explanation given. Um, so I, I think what's, what's mind boggling is John's observations are very straightforward. Uh, and they very, uh, you know, very clearly um, undermine NIST's, uh, NIST's Bazant's theory, Bazant's model of how the towers came down. And yet the Journal of Structural Engineering in two days rejects it, saying that it's insufficient technical content. And we're talking about basic observations here. Uh, in a real functioning scientific community, engineering scientific community that's dealing with these issues, that's trying to understand what happened to these buildings, John's paper would not have been rejected in two days for having insufficient technical content. Um, it's just outrageous. Uh, but that's what we're dealing with. We try to point out the most basic facts. We don't. John doesn't need crazy mathematical equations like Bazant. Um, he can just show how this model on its face is, is um, not consistent with observed reality. Uh, and that that's not fit to be published in the ASCE's Journal of Structural Engineering. Um, so John is gonna be um, appealing that decision and we're going to help John do that and, and fight this, fight this particular battle, um, as far as it can go. Uh, and as many listeners, viewers know, we're also working to get Tony Zambodi and Richard Johns's paper published that is attacking Bazan's theory at the beginning of the collapse in the first few seconds. Uh, and, um, and so we have both of those on the fire right now. Uh, but that's what we're dealing with. That's, that's the level of kind of censorship and corruption and in, in unwillingness to look at basic fact uh, because it undermines the theory that these uh, engineers have um, endorsed for the past 20 years. Yeah, you got to keep on fighting. And that's what we do on behalf of these engineers. So please support us if you can. Sign up for our emails because we like to keep people updated on what's going on. The New York Times doesn't do it for us. We've been waiting for them to cover this important information for like 20 years. 
yet they just uh, continue to obscure, not just them, but the entire corporate media. You all know the score out there. So sign up for our emails. We'll keep you informed through shows like these, through our articles. And if you're a fan of the Silver Bullets article, send it out. Send it to your congressman. I plan on sending it to the members of the Science Committee with very simple words. I mean, there'll be more words than what I'm going to say here, but uh, tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me where I'm wrong. If they're on the Science Committee, they probably have people on their staff that uh, can address these issues. I'm talking about the Congressional Science Committee. Um, but don't wait for me to do it. Do it on your own as well. I don't care. Get ahead of me and uh, send this to your member of Congress. we got a new one coming in. Uh, in January and show them these very easy to demonstrate points that they can't argue with. They can't just dismiss you as a conspiracy theorist. They might try to, but they won't sound good doing it. So please do so. Uh, so we are at the end of this broadcast today. Thank you very much. Spread the information far and wide. I want to thank Ted for all the work he continues to do here and for coming on the show today. Thank you, Andy. All right, there you go. The end of another 9-11 free fall. Tell us what we can be doing better in these shows. To do that, you go to 911freefall.com or ae911truth.org. That is the bigger site to get behind. But for my part, this is Andy Steele saying we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.